preach for him. And so I, I agreed to do that. And the sound guy did the same thing. He gave me the mic and I forgot to turn it on. And um, nobody in the church heard me the whole sermon. So, <clears throat> oh, well, you know, and nobody said, you know, at least Chris had the decency to say, Pastor, turn it on, you know. But anyway, I felt I felt pretty stupid just saying. But I, I don't know how many of you know what humidity is. Okay, I I hate humidity. Okay, um, <clears throat> we we um, while we were in South Carolina, we wanted to. Uh, Melanie had promised the grandkids that she would make strawberry jam for the kids. Well, the the best way to make strawberry jam is to go pick the strawberries and take them home and make the jam. Next time, I'm buying the strawberries, okay, just saying. Uh, but we went out there. <clears throat> it was 87 degrees when we went to pick strawberries. But the heat index was 102. And needless to say, we were picking strawberries, and I was sweating. Just, I mean, it was just dripping off me. I, I, I am never picking strawberries again, just saying. <clears throat> um, anyway. Genesis chapter 41. This morning, <clears throat> besides, if you want to see pictures of my grandkids or pictures of my, my wife and I on the beach, um, see me later. <laughs> Just if you like the beach, you can get jealous because we got to spend a lot of time at the beach. So, Anyway, um, Genesis chapter 41. We're going to talk this morning about... Two of God's attributes. Um, God has many attributes, and there's no way in one sermon I could even come close to covering completely one of God's attributes, let alone two of God's attributes. So this morning I want to start off by talking about two of God's attributes. <clears throat> and again, I'm just going to scratch the surface of these, but I want to give you uh, just a glimpse into who God is. Uh, first off, uh, well, the, the title of the message is this, <clears throat> God's love and grace. Two of God's probably great, at least the way my little pea brain works, two of God's greatest attributes is his love and grace. And um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about those this morning. But before we actually get into the message, I want to clarify, if I can, God's love and God's grace. <clears throat> God's love is probably, in, in my estimation, is probably described the best in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> Those of you that know this verse can probably quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is, to me, the greatest definition of God's love. Now, there are some characteristics of God's love, and I want to briefly, again, I could spend... <clears throat> days and days and days talking about the love of God, okay? And, and so this is just a brief overview of God's love. 
the first characteristic of God's love is that it's sacrificial. Okay, God gave his only begotten son. Love is always sacrificial. It is never selfish. It is always sacrificial. The second characteristic that I think is important to understand, it is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial and is unconditional. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Uh, in, this, in this was manifest the love of God toward us, because God sent his uh, only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Therein is love, that we, <coughs> excuse me, uh, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that word propitiation is an interesting word. It's not the kind of word that we use on a daily basis. In fact, some of you may have never seen this word before. But what this word means is that, <clears throat> in, a, in a nutshell, it means sacrificial lamb. So, herein is love. Not that he loved us, but that he loved, um, <clears throat> not, that, not that we loved him. Oh, let me read it. <clears throat> Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sin. That's what the word propitiation means. Again, it's unconditional. God, and and <clears throat> I had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody this week, and I and and I was able to sit down with him and 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 share with him the unconditional love of God, and the fact that God could love someone like me. And if you were honest with you yourself, you would say the same thing. Unconditional love. But generally, when we think of the love of God, we usually kind of stop there. You know, we, we say, okay, the, <clears throat> the love of God is sacrificial, and it's unconditional, and it is. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it is much more than that. I want to give you a third characteristic. Again, I'm just scratching the surface of the love of God. But I want to give you a third characteristic this morning to help you kind of understand the love of God maybe a little bit better. That is the word needful. It's needful. You think, well, well, okay, that's kind of obvious. I need the love of God in my life. That, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, or what I mean by that, is he knows what I need. God's love is needful. He knows what I need. And sometimes what I need may not be very comfortable. Sometimes what I need may even be very uncomfortable and maybe even painful at times 
those of you that are parents can understand and appreciate this struggle because those of us that are parents, um, uh, we've been in this situation. You know what is best for your child. But what is best for your child is not always the easiest thing, is it? Sometimes do, now, now, now be honest, parents. Have you made decisions for your family, what you believe to be best for your children, and your children get mad at you? No, I never did, Mom. Never did. Of course. Of course. Why? <laughs> Why? Because we're selfish. We want what we want. But there are times what we need is different. And that and that that God knows what we need. And sometimes the need is not always very comfortable. Paul understood this and described this struggle in Philippians chapter 1 verses 23 and 24 it says for I am uh, uh, straight betwixt two having a desire to depart to be with Christ which is far better nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for me that's where I got the word needful <clears throat> what Paul is saying here is look look he was getting up in age and he knew that his life expectancy on earth was getting really short. And he, what he's saying here, look, I, I, am, I, am, I am between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. I want to die and be with Jesus. I want him to take me home. But I realize I need to be here and minister with you. Sometimes the best thing for us is what Paul calls needful. And God's love for us will take us places sometimes we don't want to go. Just like those of you that are parents will, will take your children places they don't always want to go. But you know as a parent it is the best thing for them. Sometimes they go kicking and screaming, but they go. But it's the best thing for them. So let's talk about God's grace here for a minute. So we talked about God's love. It's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's needful. God's grace. God's grace is actually pretty cool. If you, if you, if you enjoy studying the Bible... Spend some time studying the word grace. I found a definition recently. <clears throat> I read this and I thought, wow, that, that's a pretty good definition of the word grace. It says, God's favor toward the unworthy. God's favor toward the, the unworthy. God's grace is closely related to his benevolence, his love, and his mercy. All of those things are, are kind of interwoven, but they're all, they're all separate, but they're all kind of part of each other. But his benevolence, his love, and his mercy and his grace, it's awesome to see how much God loves us. The Bible repeatedly 
refers to God's grace as a gift. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, But not as uh, the offense, as also the free gift. For if through the offense one may uh, be dead, much more the grace of God and the, and the gift by grace, uh, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is what? It is a gift of God. Grace has multiple characteristics as well. Number one, it's free. It's free. Look at, look at here. Um, can, you, can you go back to um, uh, uh, Romans 5.15, Chris, if you would, please? <clears throat> in, in the original language, um, in, in, in the Greek language, when the writer was trying to emphasize something, they would use redundant words. Okay, does that make sense? Hello? Okay. <clears throat> um, in this, in this first, the first sentence here, there is a redundant statement. Can anybody tell me what the redundant statement is? Okay, the redundant statement is free gift. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Is not a gift free? Okay, if it costs you something, it's not a gift. So a gift is understood to be free, right? Hello? Okay. <laughs> okay, so by saying free gift is a redundant statement, right? So the emphasis here in this verse is on the fact that the gift that, that the grace of God is absolutely and totally free. That's an awesome thought. So the, the, the first characteristic is of the grace of God is that the fact that it's free. It cannot be earned. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be free. So there's nothing you can do to earn the grace of God. It can't be bought. You cannot give enough money to a church, to a organization, to anything. You cannot give enough money to God to buy it. You can't do it. It would, it would nullify the free gift if you could buy it. It can only be given. Think about that. The grace of God can only be given. Once a gift is given, then the ownership then transfers to the receiver. Right? Now, I have a good friend sitting back here. His name's Chris. And Chris has something that I really would love. It's called a side-by-side. -side, okay? <clears throat> Now, if he was a real friend, no, I'm teasing. But, um, um, but I'm just I'm just teasing with him. But, but, 
Uh, but w- w- what would happen if one day he came up to me uh, and he, he pulled up in front of my house with the, the, the side-by-side on a trailer and he gets out and he says, he says, Pastor, he said, because <clears throat> of your sermon the other day, I, felt, I feel guilty and I, I feel like I have to give this to you. And, and <laughs> I know, I know. But he says, Here, here's the title, and it's yours. So I take possession of the title, go down DMV, switch it over to my name, and then two weeks later it comes back and says, you know, I changed my mind. Like, too late, dude. <laughs> See, once, once a gift is given... It transfers title, and it's no longer it no longer belongs to the one that gave. It belongs to the receiver. That's how God's grace is. Think about that. Not an awesome thought that God can give you something so precious. It is absolutely, completely undeserved. Absolutely, completely undeserved. Again, I can't buy it. I can't earn it. I can do nothing. But it's the grace of God that gives it. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And if by grace then it is no more work, uh, no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. I love that. I love that. In other words, if you could earn it, it's not grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. One of the problems that we run into <clears throat> as human beings is we misunderstand oftentimes the love and grace of God. And we, can't, we have the ability, and we do, and I've, I've even thought this myself a couple of times, but I hear it, I hear it pretty often from people. If God loves me, then nothing bad should happen to me. Now, how many of you parents love your children? Hopefully all of you, okay. How many of you, how many of you have done things to your children that they would interpret as not being good? <laughs> we all have, okay. Why do you do that? You do that because you love them. Some people would say, if God shows grace to me, then I should always be happy. That's that's a misunderstanding. That's not understanding the, the true grace and love of God. The truth is, God's love and grace is all around us. You know, how many of you would say, that we are living in some really weird times. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I had people that don't normally raise their hand raise their hand just now. Okay. I mean, we we admittedly are in some really weird times. But you know what? The grace of God is all around us. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Can you put up the next, the, the, the first slide of the morning? Slide number 13. This, <clears throat> this is God's timetable that we have been talking about of, of the life of Joseph. Now, up until this time, all of this stuff that, that, that Joseph has gone through, for the most part, has been difficult at best, right? He was sold into slavery. Uh, he was in prison. He was a slave. Um, <clears throat> so on and so on and so forth. Okay? This poor guy has been through it. But as, as we know and as we have been seeing, has not the grace of God been obvious through the whole story? He has. God has shown himself strong in the life of Joseph. Even though Joseph was going through difficult times, the grace of God was prevalent through all of it. The love and the grace of God is all around us, even today. It is so easy to look at everything going around, going on around us and think, okay, the, the world is out of control. It's easy to think that. But I'm here to tell you, God is in control. God was in control in Joseph's life in a foreign land, and he is in control today in your life here in Fernley. As we have studied the life of Joseph, I don't know if you remember this, but on multiple occasions, you would the, the phrase, not exactly, but a paraphrase, <clears throat> we saw many times, but God was with Joseph. Even though all of this horrible stuff was going on, God was with Joseph. This morning, the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 takes kind of a twist here. <clears throat> and Joseph, up to this point, at the very beginning he, was, he wasn't, but, but the majority of what we have studied so far, Joseph has been the central character. But as we, as we start in this section and then, and then through the rest of the book of Genesis, actually, uh, Joseph is no longer the central character, but is <clears throat> his brothers and his father start to take on bigger roles in the story. So it's kind of a turning point here in the book as we as we are studying. <clears throat> this is where we are going to see God's love and grace being displayed over and over and over. That's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about God's love and God's grace. Because sometimes we don't always, un we don't always see it. Okay, can you put up the next slide, please? 
Okay? The next step here, God's love and grace. God's love and grace. Now, let me encourage you to do this. There's not a person in this room that hasn't been through difficult times. Every, every one of us has. Probably multiple times. And I want you to spend some time this week thinking back to some of those times. And I want you to, to notice how much of God's love and grace you can find in those difficult times. Because he's always with us. Just like he is going to always be with Joseph and his family. So let's start in Genesis chapter 41 in verse 53. <clears throat> For those of you that were not here in the past or are not familiar with the story, let me kind of catch you up. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery um, and through a series of really cool events, uh, he becomes the number two man in Egypt. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt and uh, primarily because he, he was able to, to interpret uh, Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh had two dreams and he was able to interpret them Pharaoh made him the number two man in the country. And so we come to um, chapter 41 in verse 53. And, this, and the seven years of plenty uh, that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the, <clears throat> and the seven years of dearth began to come according uh, as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all the land. <clears throat> But in all the uh, land of Egypt, uh, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the uh, Egyptians, Go unto uh, Joseph what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in all the land of Egypt. And all countries came unto Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was so sore in the land. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do. We are truly grateful. For all that you do, we ask you bless us this morning. Help us to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> in these verses that we just read, verses 53 to 57, we see that the dreams of Pharaoh uh, that Joseph had interpreted earlier came true. And once again, I want to emphasize the fact that God is in control. God predicted that these things would happen, and they happened to the T. Um, <clears throat> now, as we have seen through this whole study of the book of Genesis, or, or the, the, the study of Joseph's life, we have seen that God has a plan for Joseph's life. But now we're about to see the plan that God had for, has for his family. Those of us that are familiar with the story of Joseph, um, 
and and the life uh, of his family uh, know that what what is about to take place. And I, and again, I don't want to I don't want to ruin the story for those of you that are not familiar with it. But what it, what's about to happen is because of the because of the famine, <clears throat> Joseph's family or Joseph's dad, his name is Jacob. Jacob is about to send his his brothers to Egypt because they're 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 they've run out of food. And they've heard they they they've heard that there's food in Egypt. So so Jacob is getting ready to send his ten brothers to Egypt to buy food. <coughs> now some people would say, and I've even kind of thought this and I understand why, but I've thought this. Those of you that are familiar with the story, one of the criticisms of Joseph is that he he was he was um, not too nice to his brothers. Some people have even said that he should have revealed himself sooner to his brothers. Some of you that are not familiar with this story, as we continue through the story, you may end up thinking the same thing. Because Joseph, as his brothers come, Joseph does not say, Oh, hey, guys, it's me. He, 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 for lack of better terms, he puts them through the test. And... Let me say this, <clears throat> and, and you have to, in order to understand this book, or this man, Joseph, you need to keep one word in your mind, and that word is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Joseph wanted to well let, let, let me ask it okay um, as, 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 as the rest of the story continues we're going to be seeing this word reconciliation play out in two ways okay one is Joseph had a desire for his brothers to be reconciled to God okay but he also wanted reconciliation between themselves. He wanted to reestablish his relationship with his brothers. So as the story unfolds, Joseph is very wise in the way that he does this. And we'll get into that as as the story unfolds. So point number one this morning, very simple, Let's talk about the famine for a minute because this is really important. Most famines historically are regional. Okay? You know, uh, I read of a famine in India uh, from 1782 to 1784. Two years. A two-year famine. Now, this is a seven-year famine. Okay? In two years in India... Over 11 million people died. We also read about a famine in the book of Ruth. 
chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass in the day when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. What, what, what land was that? Israel. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> and a certain man of um, Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn into the country of Moab, uh, he and his wife and two sons, and the name of the man was uh, Elimelech, and the name of uh, his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons was uh, Malon and Kilion, uh, Ephratitus of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So, <coughs> excuse me. So you have a regional famine, if you would, in the land of Israel, and they go to the land of Moab. Now, if you look on a map, I, I didn't even think about this, or I had gotten a map for you. It's, it's right next door. I mean, they didn't have to go far. So famines generally are regional. Another famine that really strikes pretty close to home for Joseph was his own grandfather was in the midst of a famine and was impacted by a famine in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. And there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down into the land of Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous in the land. Again, it was regional. So what is what is... What is my point here? My point is this. There's a unique part about this famine, and that is that it affected everyone. Look at verse 56. <clears throat> and the famine was over all the face of the earth. That means that every person on the face of the earth was affected by this famine. And the only place in the world that had food was Egypt. And who <clears throat> was in charge of the food? Joseph. Things were desperate in Egypt. The people came to Pharaoh and started crying, Hey, we're hungry. And, he, and, and Pharaoh said, hey, don't look at me, look, look to Joseph. Joseph has got the key to the storehouse, so to speak. Joseph is the man. So <clears throat> things in Egypt were bad. Things in, in, the, in the entire world were bad. Now, <clears throat> again, I want to kind of fast forward here into the story so you kind of get the context of what's going on with the famine and that is Joseph's brothers are about to come to Egypt looking for food. Now, I want to go back and I want to revisit the word love. God's love for you and for me. God's love is sacrificial. It's unconditional. And it's needful. Think about that word needful. Sometimes what we need is uncomfortable. Sometimes what we need can be painful. Was the pain of the famine 
needful for the for Joseph's family. Now I want you to think about this. Was the famine, was the pain of the of the famine needful for Joseph's family? And those of you that know the story know the answer to that is yes. Why? Because they God wanted to get them from the land of Israel to Egypt. And the only way he could do that was because of the famine. The reconciliation needed to take place in the lives of Joseph's family with his brothers to God and with his brothers to himself. Now, I want to ask you three questions here, and I want you to be very careful before answering these three questions because these three questions go to the heart of the love of God in our lives. Question number one, are you ready? Is God in control today? Amen, he is. Yes, God is in control. Even though there are mornings when you wake up and you turn on the news and you think, what in the world happened? I've only been asleep for a few hours, but it seems like the world just got turned upside down again. I'm here to tell you, God is still in control. So, question number one, is God in control? Question number two, and I want you to think about this. Does God know what's best for me? Does God know what is best for me? Absolutely, he does. Question number three. And this is the this is the hard one. Will God do what is best for me? Will God do what is best for me? It, let, let me put it to you this way. For the for Joseph's family, Jacob and the eleven brothers, and all of the family. The best thing for them was the famine. Think about that. How many times have you had to go through hard, a hard time? A famine, so to speak. And you can look back and think, wow, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I've been there. Why? Because God is still in control. God knows what's best for me, and God is going to do what's best for me. Now, did I enjoy going through the famine? Absolutely not. Point number one, the famine. Point number two, the greatest need. What, What was their greatest need? God. Their greatest need was God. Their greatest need was not food. And I'm here to tell you, your greatest need is not food. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That is your greatest need. And God is going to do whatever is best in your life to make sure that that relationship happens. And sometimes, sometimes he will bring a famine into your life. Job was a man that endured an incredible famine, so to speak. He lost everything. His, he, he, was, he was one of the richest men a, 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 alive, and, and he lost everything within just a few minutes. All of his wealth, all of his children, everything within just a matter of a, of a few minutes. He lost it all. I would call that a famine. It got to the point where his wife came to him and said, you know what, Job, just curse God and die. Now, personally, I don't think she was being mean. I think she was just saying, you know what, <laughs> kind of like Paul said, just, just go be with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? This But what did Job say? Near the end of the book of Job, in Job chapter 23, verses 10 to 12, Job said this, But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, what, what is the word tried? Tested. Put to, the, put to the test. In other words, run Another another word that we could use is is if put, uh, the the word tried there would be put in a furnace and tested. But he knoweth my way, the, he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The word the word tried there again goes back to the word furnace. Do you do you know what you do with raw gold? You put it in a fire. And what happens? All the dross, all the impurities start to float. But you can't get the impurities out of the gold until you stick it in the fire. And Job was saying, look, <clears throat> I've been through the fire and God has taken out all of the impurities in my life. And I've come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his, of, of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Again, Job understood his, his need was not food, but it was God. Job understood the importance of a right relationship with God. Unfortunately, he had to go through the famine to get there. He had to be tried. But he came forth as gold. Having a right relationship with God is critical. And reconciliation is a huge part of that right relationship. True reconciliation requires humility. 
honest humility. Now I'm going to say something that I believe everyone in this room can relate to because you've either been there and you've done it. Okay? That is this. When uh, this last, you know, when we were in North uh, South Carolina visiting our grandkids, <clears throat> there were a couple occasions where uh, one of my grandkids would do something to the other grandkid. Y'all ever been there? Okay. And, and <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, Raquel or Tim, one of them would, would uh, grab hold of them and say, you go over and apologize to your brother or your sister or whatever. What did they do? They walk over and they go, oh, I'm sorry. Now, we laugh at that because we know it's true. Because those of you that have kids, you've seen it. And if you're honest with yourself, you've done it. You've apologized, but you, you had no intention of meaning it. And the problem is we do the same thing with God. True reconciliation has a humility about it. Now, what should have taken place with my grandchildren? Walk over to the other, say, hey, you know what? Man, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have poked you in the eye. I, I don't know what it was. You know, I shouldn't have taken your toy or whatever and meant it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to mean it. And what we're going to see here as this, as this story unfolds is we're going to see a change in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. True reconciliation starts to take place. In chapter 42, we'll, we're going to start in, in chapter 42 next week, but Jacob... Joseph's dad sends his ten, ten brothers to Egypt to get food. They come to Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph because Joseph, Joseph disguises himself and doesn't reveal who he is. Excuse me, but he knows who they are. And he does something here that is, excuse me, is considered possibly deceitful or mean but he accuses them of being spies. And I, I personally think he does it on purpose to see how they're going to react. But he accuses them of being spies. <clears throat> and what do they do? Those of you that know the story, what do they do? They panic, right? They, they, they panic and... I want to I give you a, a, a life observation here because I, I hate the word karma, okay? There, there is no such thing as karma, by the way, okay? Just saying. Okay, God does not use karma to get back at us, okay? It's called sin and the results of sin, okay? <clears throat> so I want to clarify this. But what happens, this is, a, 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 this is just a life observation of mine. Oftentimes, famine or difficult situations 
can cause us to examine our hearts. So here Joseph's brothers are being accused. They're in a foreign land. They're being accused of being spies. Now you got to understand the culture back then. <clears throat> Joseph, they did, again, they didn't know it was Joseph. But Joseph, if Joseph said, kill him, they would, within seconds they would have all been dead. And they knew that when they went to Egypt. The Egyptian people were ruthless people. And, and they knew, being accused of being spies, that they could be dead in, within seconds. So you tend to examine your heart pretty quick when you're in that situation. But I want you to, 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 to look at chapter 42 and verse Verse 21 tells us their, their immediate regret. Their immediate regret is in chapter 42 and verse 21. And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Again, that's not karma. That is the result of sin. When they were stressed, when they when their lives were threatened, their first regret was of what they had done to their brother. That's an amazing thought. And when we are put in stressful situations, when the famines of life happen, oftentimes that's what we do, is it not? We examine our hearts. And this was the first step in them getting their reconciliation to God in the right place. Because you can't reconcile with God until you admit that you've done wrong. My point is this in, close, in closing. Let me, let me just kind of tie it all together, ho hopefully for you. I believe this whole message is bound up in this one sentence. And, and, and try and get a hold of this because this is, this is important. God was using the famine to set them free. Think about this. When the, when the stress came and the guilt was revealed, what was the thing that they regretted the most? What they had done to their brother. And God was using a famine to set them free. I remember years ago, there was a man who used to go to church or he's moved away since. But he, he, I preached a message one time. This has been, man, this has been probably eight, ten years ago. I preached a message one time on forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness and so on and so forth. And about, about two months later, 
I, I had actually forgotten about this, the message. About two months later, he came up to me. And he said, you know what? I want to thank you for this message. Uh, and I barely even remembered preaching the message. And, and he explained to me that he had gone on vacation. And while he was on vacation, he, he looked up an old uh, work acquaintance that had done him wrong. And for years, he had held bitterness against this man. And he looked him up, and he looked him in the eye, and he says, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And he said, as soon as he said that, a weight was lifted on. And I mean, he was a totally different person. When the guilt was taken away, he became a completely different person. And as we see this story, God uses a famine to free his ten brothers. And God knows what's best for us. God is in control. God knows what's best for us. Number three, God will do what's best for us. And sometimes what is best for us is a famine, is a difficult situation, is a struggle. You name it, whatever you want to name it. But sometimes that's what God has to do. Why? Because of his love and his grace in our lives. God loves you. And he has given you his grace. And he will do what's best for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we close our service, I want to thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I want to thank you for the famines that you've brought into my life periodically that have helped me to be the person that I am today. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us because we all fail you. With every head bowed and every eye closed,